Peace, peace, and welcome. We're glad you're here. This is the Cook on Monday Morning Podcast. I am here with the homie, Albright Brown. Welcome, bro. Hey, man. How you doing? <laughs> Good morning. Good morning. It's early. Yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm glad you're here. Thank you. Thank you for having me on the show. Of course. Of course. Um, at Cook on Monday Morning, we believe that if you own Monday morning, you can own the week. If you own the week, you can own the year. And if you change your year, you can change your life. So Aubrey have and I have like multiple cross pollinizations of connections <laughs> and, um, you know, all the stuff he's been doing in tech around diversity. And I think his upbringing, how he got involved in tech in the city uh, is is really incredible. And I want to dig into that with you a little bit today. If that's cool. For sure. Yeah. Cool. On the on the uh the concept of Mondays, I've been calling them money Mondays. Okay. Too. Money Monday. If you think about uh Monday as getting that money, mm-hmm. then you can also own the week as well. So mm-hmm. I lo- I love your concept too. Right on. Yeah, and fold folding that into that is like gotta think about getting up and getting that money on Mondays. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's what's up. Well, how so we met through the the company that you started called um Telegraph Academy. Yep. Uh, tell us a little bit about what that was, what you were doing with that. And I want to get into other parts of your story too, if you don't mind. Yeah, for sure. So uh, Telegraph Academy was a uh, coding bootcamp specifically geared towards people of color. And the way it came about was um, about a year and a half earlier, I went to a coding bootcamp called Hack Reactor uh, and it changed my life, you know, beforehand. And we'll get into this, but no college degree. Didn't really know where I was going in life, a little bit aimless. And I saw an ad on Google that said, in three months, you can make 100K. Mm-hmm. Of course, I clicked on that ad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that led me to Hack Reactor. Mm-hmm. Um, three months, 11 hours a day, six days a week, learning how to code, get you a job in the industry, start making six figures. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went to that school, worked out, um, got a job as a software engineer. And then I worked at the school uh, for about six months. And as I was going along, I was like telling my homies in the community, hey, did you know that coding boot camps exist? Mm-hmm. Did you know that you could learn how to code and make six figures? No one believed me. Mm-hmm. Nah, there's no way until I started showing them my paychecks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they were like, oh, this is real. Right. So went to uh, Sean Drost. Shout out Sean, um, the co-founder at the time, Hack Reactor. And I said, hey, there's a market opportunity here. There are folks who... Um, folks who uh, really are grinders who can come in here, learn how to code, we can get them jobs. And I know the industry is very, very interested in diversity work right now. Mm -hmm. This was a year after Jesse Jackson came to the Valley and said, hey, y'all have to release your diversity numbers. Mm -hmm. The day that I started at Hack Reactor, Google dropped their first diversity numbers. So I could tell that this was going to be a trend that the Valley was going to have to start seeing um, and and really uh, taking diversity work seriously. Right. So I think those two concepts kind of were, were close together. Mm-hmm. Tech companies uh, were looking at folks who were underrepresented. Our coding bootcamp could make that happen in three months. How about we just start one for right. people of color? Thankfully, Sean, Tony, uh, and Marcus, the co-founders, saw the vision. They invested in um, Bianca and I. Uh, my co-founder, Bianca Gandolfo, who's mm-hmm. a software engineer. And in, uh, what was it, June, 
2015, mm. we launched Telegraph Academy, mm. a fully running boot camp specifically geared towards people of color. Mm. And our first cohort was 15 people. Um, and, you know, just hit the ground running and teaching people how to code. Right. Yeah. I, I met you around that time because I, I started running Mission Bit and I think it was, oh man, I forget the year now. <laughs> it was like late 2014. And um, so I, I I met you, I think in late 2015 and I saw the site like along, it was on, was it on Telegraph mm-hmm. Street? Yeah. Telegraph mm-hmm. Academy. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it was like this really incredible bustling space. And you were like, um, you were definitely in your element, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, it was it was hard to get a meeting with you. Yeah, <laughs> thank like you. It was man. hard to get you to schedule <laughs> this podcast. You're like so you stay so busy. Um, so you went from not going to college to to starting a career coding school for people of color. Yeah, yeah. So it was really wild, man. I mean, I didn't go to college for various re- reasons. Yeah, why? And, yeah, why and, not? And now that I uh, look back on it. Um, my as I get older, the mm-hmm. reasons start to evolve as to why I didn't make the jump or uh so to kind of like go all the way back, I was never a very good student. I never really saw the the um not the point of school, but I never really got a lot of fulfillment out of getting good grades or making teachers happy um but I was also super creative and wanted mm-hmm. to do things outside of school. Um, so in high school, you grew up in this area too. Yeah. So, uh, I grew up in Berkeley, mm-hmm. um, started elementary school at Craigmont, uh, in Berkeley, Craigmont Hills okay. up until third grade. And then my mom, um, was like, Hey, I need to take you out of public school. Hmm. I was getting in trouble all the time, mostly cause I was bored. Mm-hmm. Um, I was causing a lot of trouble for the teachers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she was up there every other week. Mm-hmm. Um, and not because I wasn't doing well, but because I was spending extra time just messing around mm-hmm. and, um, also getting other kids to mess around with me. Mm-hmm. So she was like, you need to go somewhere else. Right. So I ended up going to St. Paul's Episcopal school in Oakland, um, right by the lake, fourth grade to eighth grade. And at that time, it was really formative in the sense that I learned how to be in white spaces. Mm. Um, Craigmont, I was the one of two okay. uh, black kids in my class. And coming from a school, uh, or not Craigmont, St. Paul's. I was one St. of Paul's, two yeah. um, from fourth to eighth grade. And coming from a school where I was, it was a predominantly black school at Craigmont. So now I had to switch contexts. Um, and super interesting experience. And that's when I started to fa- start to fail. Mm. the the uh the school got harder you mm. know what i'm saying it was a little bit more advanced concepts um you know being a private school with smaller classes there was a lot more scrutiny on what you needed to deliver and um what teachers wanted from you and the way that i responded to that was by acting out okay. uh, and um you know building more social relationships with my classmates rather than uh learn how to be a good student Right. Fast forward to high school, went to Berkeley High, mm-hmm. um, which put me back into the context of being in a predominantly POC space. Mm-hmm. At the time, Berkeley High was about 55% people of color, uh, Latinx or underrepresented people of color. So right. Latinx and black. And then the rest was, uh, you could say, like 30% white mm-hmm. and then about 15% Asian. Mm-hmm. Um, and although it was 
um, you know, very diverse, it was also very segregated. If you walked the uh, if you walked the campus and saw the different pods that were together, much like a lot of high schools, the white kids with the white kids, the black kids with the black kids, the Latino kids with the Latino kids, mm-hmm. and there wasn't a lot of mixture. Mm-hmm. But because I had come from a fairly white space, uh, and I was also into athletics, I played basketball. Um, I got to kick it with both okay. of those folks, mm-hmm. and I was somewhat of the liaison between those two groups. Um, all that to say, I was always very social. Um, but when it came to hitting the books, when it came to being disciplined enough to do to, uh, for academia, Mm -hmm. it just never came to me. It wasn't something I was into. Um, my mom never disciplined me in that way either. Mm -hmm. She, uh, was more focused on making sure that we had food on the table, um, and making sure that we had a house and home to be in. Mm -hmm. Uh, So when it came to college, it was a combination of things too. One, it was a lot of fear. Um, I was very afraid that I wouldn't be able to to do well and really fulfill the investment that college is supposed to be, right? That you do well and then you get a job that helps you pay back those loans. Um, and then the second piece, uh, which me and a guest, uh, uh, Ruben Harris, yeah, who you yeah. have before will yeah. agree on is that, um, I actually did the math about like what college actually gets you. Mm-hmm. Uh, most people mm-hmm. uh, when it comes to a degree. Um, and I realized that we're at a point that what you pay for college and what you get back on average, um, uh, it just don't, they don't really balance out. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't willing to take the risk to spend 150, 250, even $80,000 to take out a loan to go to college, to get a four-year degree, unless I knew I was going to be able to get a job that I could pay that back within five years. And I just didn't see it happening. Mm-hmm. So, um, and the last reason was that uh, my mom passed away. Mm. She had breast cancer mm. um, my sophomore year. Whoa. And she was like, hey, I just want to see you graduate. So my sophomore year, I started working my ass off um, to, to graduate. Um, I barely made it. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I had enough social standing to speak at graduation. So not only did I get to graduate, I also got to speak to my class about fear and about the next step and how you're always going to feel like a freshman mm-hmm. at the end of the day. And that's mm. what life is about. Mm. Always getting into situations where you feel like a freshman. Right. And I'm very, very grateful that my uh, mom got to see that. And I think that is kind of what fueled me to do um, Telegraph Academy, mm. uh, just to give opportunities to folks who may have struggled coming up, but can still grind it out and do great things later in life. Yeah. Yeah. I actually didn't know about your mother passing. Mm. When, when, what year, how old were you when that happened? So I was 18. Okay. Yeah. That was 2009. Okay. Yeah. And then and Telegraph Capital was 2015. Yeah. Okay. And um, I think the 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 piece about the college, the finances connected to college, like the is it worth the investment? I think a lot of that is very important to, to dig in on. And uh, I don't want to spend a ton of time on it, but yeah. um, there are you know I've met a lot of high school students throughout my career, and when I meet seniors that have very clear ideas of why they're avoiding college, like, you know, they've thought it through and they're deeply connected to a particular interest. Um, I always support 
their direction. It's like, okay, you seem bought in. Yeah. Like you have to convince your parents. You have to like do all this. Like you are committed. Mm-hmm. Um, so have at it. Yeah. One of the big things that college gives to people is like this social connection, but you are already incredibly social. Mm-hmm. And so um, you had a lot of, I think, attributes that uh, were going to serve you well, no matter where you showed up in, in the world, you know, and it, I think it has for all the things that you've gotten involved in and built um so so i think uh it takes it, it takes courage i think uh, for this generation for like when we came up to not go to college if that was the expectation of the community it was like um that was you were going against the grain you know <laughs> yeah and, and not not to cut you off but you know there were all of my family members were did not support me mm-hmm. and i understand now why right. you know, as i again like as i get older i think by decision making and if i went if i went back i may have made a different decision mm-hmm. um only because I, I would have been more clear about the reasons why i wasn't going mm-hmm. um but you know my family members especially being a black man mm-hmm. were like there's no way you're going to make it mm-hmm. there's no way you're going to be able to do anything and mm-hmm. they saw, saw it as kind of like a death now Right. in my career mm-hmm. um and you know being the stubborn aries uh, you're <laughs> the aries, stubborn too? aries <laughs> dude that i am yeah where's your birthday uh march 30th okay i'm april 16th okay for sure yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. you know aries aries uh, gang out here big <laughs> <laughs> up the aries yeah go ahead when we see something we're like hey uh-huh. i'm gonna go for that and uh-huh. no one can tell me otherwise right and whether i was going to be right or wrong um, I was going to go for it, but I, I remember sitting across from my cousin when I wanted to go to Hack Reactor mm. and um, I didn't have the money for Hack Reactor. And I was sitting across from my cousin. He's 10 years older than me, always been a mentor to me. Um, and he was like, I asked him, he's a lawyer, has lots of disposable income. Mm. And I asked him, I was like, hey, can you give me that, like put a thousand dollars towards my campaign to do this? And he was like, no, mm. he was like, no. Mm-hmm. This is not something that I believe in. And this is not something that I see the vision for. And at the time, of course, I was pissed off. Right. But I understand now. Like, if you don't see the vision for something, you shouldn't invest. Mm-hmm. Um, but to your point about the community and the expectations that are put on you, I think that it's uh, doubly for folks like us mm-hmm. um, to go to higher education and to use it as a way to maneuver into a new class. Um, and it scared the shit out of my family mm-hmm. that I was choosing a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to kind of be like, look at me now at Thanksgiving, uh, <laughs> but <laughs> you know, I, I also need to stay humble because they've helped me help me since then through the journey. Yeah. Yeah. Are you only child? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And so, um, so you started Telegraph Academy, you went to, uh, Hack Reactor, started Telegraph Academy and you transitioned to do a lot of other things. And there's, uh, there are some things that, that you definitely wanted to get into as well. But like, talk a little bit about what your journey looked like um, after Telegraph. Yeah. So um, I just got to get give a, a special thanks to the Hack Reactor co-founders just one more time and my mm-hmm. co-founder as well. Because you know, one of the challenges with Telegraph Academy that I wish we had seen from the beginning was that um, $18,000 is a lot of money. Yeah. And uh, we had a financing partner lined up that would basically pay your tuition if you got into the school. Um, and then afterwards, you would pay it back um, at no interest, just straight up. Um, and that was the key to making our, our product work for people. 
um, you know, working with underrepresented communities, generally uh, the amount of disposable income is a lot lower than um, the folks that Hack Rector were serving. Um, but we didn't look for backup financing. So in 2016, um, the lender that we were working with got bought by a firm. Hmm. And a firm said, we can't do that anymore. So that really put Torpedo in our entire business model Mm. and made it so either we had to open up a school that didn't serve black and brown folks um, or uh, Hack Reactor would buy us back and integrate us into their programming. Mm -hmm. So we opted for the latter. Um, And Hack Reactor uh, saw this vision. We got into a room and I said, hey, if you um, aqua hire uh, all of our staff, et cetera, et cetera. We can use this as an opportunity to make Hack Reactor the most diverse coding bootcamp. Mm-hmm. Um, diversity is still a very big conversation. Uh, it will, um, you know, especially women are joining the workforce and wanting to join STEM in ways that um, are really important. And I think highlighting this message is going to be huge for the business mm-hmm. and for the culture in general. Uh, so make me your director of diversity and inclusion. Mm. So they did. Mm-hmm. They um, they brought back everyone uh, into the Hack Reactor fold, and they said, hey, let's start working on actual corporate diversity work. That was the first time I had ever been um, a diversity and inclusion person, I mm-hmm. would say. Um, before then, it was more entrepreneurial. I was teaching at uh, Telegraph Academy, mm-hmm. and I was doing more of the business side, sales, mm-hmm. um, and uh, all the operations. Mm-hmm. So it was an interesting transition yeah. to go from that to building culture and mm-hmm. figuring out how to fold culture into this um, professional uh, space that was also a school. Yeah, well, talk about the the uh, talk a little bit more about the bounce back because uh, you know when when you are trying to build something and then it has to change. Yeah. Um that can't feel comfortable. Yeah. Uh and then you're trying to find solutions and it sounds like you did, but to say a little bit more about like what you were thinking, experiencing when that initial news came that you had to either change the model, like what was that like for you? Yeah. So in um in May of twenty sixteen, that's when we got the news that our lender wasn't going to be doing its thing anymore. And we lost out on a lot of money. And the first thing I had to do as a founder was uh, make some cuts. Mm-hmm. And as a 24-year-old. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't realize you were that young. As a 24-year-old telling people that they don't have a job anymore um, changes you. And that's when I kind of realized that all great things come to an end. Mm-hmm. And usually a lot more quickly than you would think. I mean, if you look at the Warriors, right? Mm. Things come to an end way more quickly than you want them to at the end of the day. Um, and it took me about a month from May to June to come to grips with the terms that, you know, Telegraph Academy isn't going to be the same thing or the dream that we thought it was going to be. So after a month of just uh, going through somewhat of a tumultuous time, you know, students wanting refunds, um, staff being pissed off because uh, we had to either let them go or cut their pay by 30%. Um, it was really an exercise in empathy. It was an exercise in empathy and patience. Mm. And, um, you know, me and uh, the folks who stuck around, my co-founder left as well, mm-hmm. um, decided that, no matter what, we were going to figure out a way to keep the the name and the um, 
you know, the spirit of Telegraph Alive. Mm-hmm. Um, so we went to the Kapoor Center mm-hmm. and said, hey, can we pitch so that you can buy us? Um, and we went to uh, uh, some other like smaller investors and said, hey, we just need 500K. Can you mm-hmm. make it happen? Unfortunately, as we learned, you know, the VC cycle takes a long time. It takes mm-hmm. a long time, a lot of pitching. We didn't have that much time. So, you know, during these conversations, we were very much in line with uh, Tony, Sean, and Marcus about what we wanted to do. Um, and, you know, the ultimate uh, decision of going back to Hack Reactor and integrating um, just made the most sense for everybody involved. The mm-hmm. speed by which we could do it, um, the it, it was somewhat seamless in the sense that we were already connected to that network. Um, and uh, it worked for Hack Reactor, mm-hmm. uh, which I think, you know, in those moments when you have to change, try to look for win-win-win situations mm-hmm. um, rather than situations where only you win. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Because mm-hmm. um, there is a world where we get bought by another organization and try again, where Hack Reactor loses. Uh, there's uh, a situation where we sell it off and we get paid out, where uh, we win, but the students lose, mm-hmm. right? So I think what I was looking for was a win-win-win situation. Um, and uh, it was it was hard to see that through all the options. Mm-hmm. Um and then that was kind of an exercise in faith mm. that something is going to come up that works for everybody that leads to the next thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. Was that kind no, of? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think it's important to to, to talk through that. And uh, you know, like I've I've experienced in de- defeats and letdowns, like losing elections or having to make cuts to people or like you know big transitions in life. And it's easy to talk about the W's, but to kind of get into what it was like to go through the L's, I think it's really helpful for people. Yeah. So you got training as a software engineer and it launched a career ultimately into trying to improve and diversify culture at companies. Yeah. Um, and so that take you, that take you in a lot of different directions, right? Like in terms of like the companies that you worked for, mm-hmm. it was like, what, what does that journey look like trying to work on diversity within the tech community? Yeah. So, uh, you know, as being a director of um, diversity at, at Hack Reactor gave me opportunity to really learn, mm-hmm. to really learn and understand uh, how diversity work can both be integrated into a culture and how it can help impact the bottom line of an organization. I think both those two things are very important um, when you are building a anything within an organization. Uh, how does this uh, how does this allow people to work here more freely and fluidly? Um, and then how does that translate into more money and more um, impact mm-hmm. for the organization at large? And um, so I was at Hack Reactor for about 16 months, started uh, t- the Telegraph Track, which you could see as our, empl- our internal employee resource group. Uh, essentially, we took students who identified as underrepresented and we put them through a leadership development track. We connected them with folks in the industry who already had jobs and were thriving in their career, and they would get mentorship. Mm-hmm. We'd have speakers come in and talk about what it's like to look for jobs and different strategies that they can use. Things that were really focused on pr- preparing them uh, for the job sor- search before the job search. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the way I think about diversity work is there's a lot of networking you can do. There's a lot of um, you know happy hours and learning about. Uh, uh, culture and experiences, but 
the number one thing that you that I like to, pr- to provide underrepresented folks is um, access to knowledge that will increase and and um, increase the velocity of their careers. Hmm. Um, I think that is I measure my impact by how much money I'm making other people who are underrepresented, mm-hmm. whether that be through referral networks, whether that be through how many people did we get raises, how many people did we get jobs. Mm-hmm. That's how I measure my impact, and that's mm-hmm. how I build my programs. Yeah. Um, so fast forward to um, uh, 2017, no, 20, yeah, 2017. Um, I, I was really happy at, at Hack Reactor, but I was looking to learn how to do this work at scale. Mm-hmm. Hack Reactor is about 250 people. I was looking for a company that was either the Facebook level or um, the 4,000, 3,000 uh, people. Mm-hmm. So, um, and that was really an, uh, for what, two what reasons. What tree did I, oh, it sounds like you're going to get to it. <laughs> <laughs> that was question. my next question. <laughs> um, the first piece was, um, the, I wanted to, to increase the number of people that I was impacting at the end of the day. And Hack Reactor was not uh, going to grow to a 3,000 or a 4,000 person company. Mm-hmm. Um, and then second, I think, you know, I will always have an entrepreneurial uh, spirit. And I know that at some point I'm going to go back and try to build a business. So I'd already seen, you know, how to build a company from, uh, you know, the 80 that Hack Reactor was to the 250. And I wanted to see how an organization of 4,000 or even larger operated Mm. um, so I could have both of those experiences. Mm. So I applied to Pivotal Labs mm-hmm. um, or Pivotal at the time that just got acquired by VMware. Um, and that was a, uh, I got an interview, I ended up starting in May. I was their first diversity and inclusion program manager working under their director of diversity. Um, this was also the first job where I ever had a boss. Huh. So yeah. it was That's an interesting transition, yeah. transition. <laughs> but I read this book and I read this quote that really guided my experience that said, to become a great leader, you have to be a great follower mm-hmm. so that you can recognize mm-hmm. great followers and great employees. So d- I took it as an opportunity to be the best employee I could be and to really own both my experience and manage up as much as I could, mm-hmm. make my boss's life a lot easier, no matter what, whether we had disagreements, whether we, um, you know, I felt in my Aries mind that like my idea was better. Mm-hmm. Um, my job was to make her life easier Mm -hmm. and to impact the company. Pivotal was amazing. Mm -hmm. Pivotal was amazing. We, um, what does Pivotal do? Pivotal um, did did, uh, run a, essentially it was a two part business. So they had a consulting arm that helped um, companies move from waterfall development. So that's basically like a top down uh, directors making the decision on what we're supposed to build over 18 months. And then engineers building that over Mm -hmm. 18 months Mm -hmm. to agile, which is more of a bottoms up approach where engineers are working on things that are self-directed and then they bubble up concerns and challenges to directors who then make strategic decisions on a six-week basis. Mm-hmm. So it's really the way that most software, software, um, small software companies work right now, which is instead of embarking on these 18-month you know, um, projects and then seeing them fail because you either missed the market or you weren't really paying attention, you start working in six-week sprints so that you can be more nimble and mm-hmm. what you're building, if something changes or a feature doesn't work. Um, and then you can continuously get feedback about how things are going. 
So they consulted companies on moving from that from from waterfall to agile, and then they also had an application that allowed you to um, uh, kind of like accelerate your learning mm-hmm. um, when you're when you're moving from a waterfall to agile culture. It was called Pivotal Tracker. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what they did. That was their bread and butter. On the diversity and inclusion side, uh, we had um, a lot of things going on, but what I owned was employee resource groups. Um, and I see employee resource groups as the uh, people are going to, and tech companies are going to hate me for saying this, but the closest thing <laughs> to a union that you have in tech. Uh-huh. It's really interesting to me that tech hasn't had unions just yet. Uh-huh. And it's going to be very interesting of whoever leads that charge because yeah. it will happen. Yeah. So tech's. Tech companies should unionize? I don't know whether, I don't have enough information as to whether tech companies should unionize. You would say that they're going in that direction? I think that once software engineers, uh, the the need for software engineers gets uh, saturated, uh-huh. um, software engineers will be the ones who start to unionize yes. once wages go below a certain um, point. Software so, engineers. So like worker protections, like do they need, okay. Yes. Okay. Yeah, well, I guess, you know, we'll see. Yeah, yeah. We, we shall see. Uh-huh. And again, I don't have, uh, I'm not an expert in unionizing. Um, I do, I, the parallel that I would like, that I'm, uh, that I'd like to make is that these are groups, uh, a, a done right, a, an employee resource group can be a continuous feedback loop for both leadership and employees, mm-hmm. as well as a space for um, underrepresented folks to uh, accelerate their careers. Yeah. Um, and that's the approach we took to yeah. our ERGs at Pivotal. Yeah. This is this is my perception of diversity in tech. Since we want to get into like what's what the so my perception is that all the diversity at a tech company is in the diversity and inclusion office. Mm-hmm. Like they like they'll hire somebody of color to run diversity and inclusion, and then so they can say we're working on diversity and inclusion. Look, we hired a person of color. Yeah, but then it's not actually moving in any real way within the companies as a result of that hire. Yeah. Well, what's, what's your I'd, opinion I'd be on interested. <laughs> Yeah, I, I'd be as a, as a, I think that's a fair critique. Mm-hmm. I think that's a, a very fair critique. I think that um, it's going to be different in different places. As someone who um, works on diversity and inclusion work and works with leaders to kind of understand what they believe diversity and inclusion work to be. Um, I think that uh, the, the reality is that um, tech is a very white and Asian dominated space. Mm-hmm. That's the reality. So no matter where you go, you're going to see that as the very majority population. Mm-hmm. Um, and the majority of uh, DNI folks are of, um, of a different uh, demographic. Yeah. Or mostly black or Latinx, or there's a lot of white women in the space. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Um, so it's, I think the perception is reality at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason why my job exists is to figure out how to um, create a reality where you can walk into a room or you can walk into a tech company uh, and not see the work as window dressing. Mm-hmm. And we haven't gotten there yet by any means. Which company would you say is the, is the best at it? Or uh, which I'd company say, stand out? I think there are two. There's Lyft. Okay. Lyft has uh, is twenty percent POC. 
Okay. Um, and so I should stop using Uber. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I mean, sometimes those lift prices, man. Are, uh, but if you want to, yeah. if you want to support more Black and Brown folks mm-hmm. and their stock, mm-hmm. then yes, I would. Because I, th- I think that's part of the issue is that whoever is using the company doesn't care about that diversity number. So it's not like like I still have Gmail. Yeah. You know, like I don't I don't really know an alternative. Like yeah. we all say Google. I still have my iPhone. Yeah. You know and. And those companies are terrible at diversity hiring. Yeah, right. you can you can say I'm wrong if they actually are good at. No, it. that's real. I mean, Google <laughs> Google also I would say is is climbing it, and this is not an excuse for them, but they're climbing a very. They started out as purely a, a white and Asian company or mm-hmm. an Indian company, mm-hmm. right? At least from a demographic standpoint. So the 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 st- they are starting from a point where it's very difficult to change the. Um, the, both the culture and the demographics that they have. That said, I would never tell anyone not to use an application because of their diversity numbers. I think that somewhat that somewhat defeats the point. Mm-hmm. I think that there's net we're never going to get a critical mask, especially for something like Google. That if enough users stop using it because of diversity work, then they will have to invest X, Y, and Z money to make it happen. Yeah. I think we're all way too dependent on on uh, on tech for me, for that to be a reasonable ask. And it would also affect black and brown folks in a negative way. If you couldn't choose between Uber and Lyft because of um, their diversity numbers, maybe you're losing money every time you use you use Lyft because their prices are higher. Mm-hmm. If you couldn't use Gmail because of their diversity numbers, it might adversely affect the um, you know whatever uh, ne- uh, connections you're making or whatever network you're building because Google just happens to be the in my opinion, the best product for um, email and other things. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I believe in, I honestly really believe in hiring around competence. Like competence is really important to me. Diversity is really important to me. I, when I ran Mission Bid, I never, I never really had a problem finding people of color, but I was like running a nonprofit, you know? Yeah. And when I think about a company like Google's ability to really touch the planet with its work, it its best position to do something real about around workforce given how extensive and how much money they have yeah. you know i would say that they should they should be leading the charge in a rare way and they try to get involved in all these phil- philanthropic things you know so i don't know i think i think i think that if it's going to happen it should be happening at a company like google or apple yeah like they they're well equipped to bring people in 100 percent. And it's, and it's not yet it's yet it's not yeah, well, you know, I think that there's a there's a there's a a difference in my mind between like what we want to see and what is actually happening in the sense that Google's and Apple's uh, diversity numbers are getting or going up and up every single year. For the past five years, they've gone up by some percentage point. Um, so if we're talking about progress. Google and Apple are making progress year over year, and a lot of companies can't really say that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, if we're talking about being in the community, I would say Google and Apple, at least Google, is in the community. Mm-hmm. Google is sponsoring. Uh, I've seen Google's name on, you know, I'd say, let's say 35 to 40% of things that are diversity and inclusion related that are pretty huge. Mm-hmm. Talk about like conferences, we're talking about, you're talking about philanthropic, uh, philanthropic efforts, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Um, so I totally understand where you're coming from. I also would like to point out that like this movement has been, uh, is only really five years old. Mm-hmm. Um, so to 
expect an industry to totally flip overnight is um, a tall task and flip overnight when they don't have any experts who know what they're doing to make those changes. And, you know, even diversity and inclusion folks, the number of diversity and inclusion folks has grown 10x over the last three years. Um, and what that says to me, what that signals to me is that um, we, DNI in tech is still a very, very, very young industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're not going to see that change until we actually have, um, until we build that expertise uh, and we build and, and fail a lot so that we can understand where we need to go next. Yeah. Um, if you think about the journey of all the companies that are super successful right now, it really took them 10 years to um, find a product market fit mm-hmm. um, and to become the companies, the Salesforces, the Googles, the, um, the Facebooks of the world. So I think if we think about diver- diversity work in that same way, we still have like three, maybe five years until we really crack the code mm-hmm. on what does it mean to be a diverse company? Mm-hmm. What does it mean to um, uh, invest in underrepresented spaces? Um, and again, I'm not trying to make excuse for the companies. They should have done it a long time ago. Jesse Jackson was in those stakeholder meetings, um, a stakeholder meetings for these organizations since 2011. Um, at the same time, uh, I think that not only is it on the companies, but it's also on diversity and inclusion practitioners as the folks that get paid to do this work to move the ball along and to learn and to um, really lead their companies in the charge. Yeah, yeah. Well, you're, you're definitely involved and committed to seeing the change happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was something you wanted to get into when we, before we that had the interview and I wanted to make sure we touched on it. Is that like too rough of a transition? Or? No, yeah, okay. let's go. We'll <laughs> so, so what was it what you wanted to get into? Yeah, so. What'd you call know, it? It was. Uh, <laughs> it's called, so look, I'll set it up real quick okay. in the sense that, you know, during my time at Pivotal, um, well, actually through many parts of my career, I've um, kind of I've picked up a mantra uh, and the way it came about was, and the, the way I first heard it was my, um, uh, I, I was in community college, mm-hmm. uh, for about half a semester mm-hmm. when I thought that maybe I could go to college mm-hmm. after high school. Mm-hmm. And, uh, my homie Anwar, um, we were in a class together and one day he had overdraft fees at, at the bank mm-hmm. and, um, he was about to pay them. And one of our uh, white homies named Daniel, mm-hmm. he stopped him and he was like, don't pay those. <laughs> <laughs> Overdraft fees don't exist. They're just trying to get money from you. Mm. Like call them and mm. tell them you're going to switch banks. Mm. And I was like, I didn't know. I kind of like that Dave Chappelle. I didn't know I couldn't do that. Right, 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 right. So... Anwar calls calls the bank and is on the phone. And he's kind of stuttering, and Daniel just takes the phone from him. And mm-hmm. he's like, I'm not paying these overdraft fees. I'm going to a different bank unless you both cancel them and give me overdraft protection for free mm-hmm. so that this never happens to me again. Mm-hmm. The guy's like, the dude over the phone is like, well, is there anything else we can do? Yada, yada, yada. He's like, no, I'm going to a different bank. I'm taking my money out. Mm-hmm. And I need it unless you do this for me. Mm-hmm. And me and Anwar are just sitting there like, wow. Wow. <laughs> like, uh, first of all, I never seen Daniel like this unless uh-huh. it's over some money, uh-huh. I guess. Yeah. And then the dude switches it up and uh, he he uh, gives the phone back and he goes, what would a white man do? Mm-hmm. Just just keep that in your head uh-huh. when you think about, you know, someone taking advantage of you or something that you feel like you an injustice or something that you feel like you want 
Mm-hmm. Think, what would a white man do? And mm-hmm. ever since then, um, I've been thinking about that. Mm-hmm. And I've used that mantra in many different uh, uh, pivotal moments in my life. And it's okay. always worked out. Mm-hmm. Um, what would a white man do? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I told this, uh, I was invited to Slack during Afrotech to do a talk. And my talk was uh, named, What Would a White Man Do? And it went through three moments that uh, in my life in which I could have, um, I was feeling unsure about um, where things were going or what I should do. Um, and I thought to myself, what would a white man do? And I chose that. And it got me to a higher point mm-hmm. in my career mm-hmm. or in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, so all that to say, uh, I think that, you know, the next step for me is to develop this concept into something a little bit bigger and a little bit more concise, um, which is what would a white man do? Uh, kind of a, a series on uh, navigating your career, your professional career with the confidence of an average white guy. Mm. Um, and how can you think to yourself in moments where you're maybe unsure about where to go? Um, how do I develop this confidence that has been bestowed upon um, and I'm making general Jasons here, but mm-hmm. um, white men, mm-hmm. as they come up, mm-hmm. um, that you can do anything. You deserve everything. Know your worth. Seek your worth. Mm-hmm. Don't take no for an answer. Right. All of these different things that I've seen white men navigate with with such ease, how can we navigate in that same way? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, will it be beneficial to your career moving forward? Right, right. Yeah. And so is it is it rooted in like self-advocacy? Is that like... Um, and and being willing to stand up to institutions or or ask for more like is that sort of what the the general concept is about or exactly okay yeah because um because i think it is interesting with the uh, there was a book that was written i forget the, the 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 name of the guy but it was called like white men shouldn't have all the fun mm-hmm. and it was about this millionaire from baltimore and he talked about uh, all his business ventures and sort of how he navigated through through that world. Yeah. And you know, there's a, there's a mindset around like how to negotiate your salary or, um, how to talk to a company when they're trying to give you a fee that you don't want. Yeah. Or, you know, how to talk to your local government or your state or your federal government, like, you know, make, making demands, um, based on knowing like what you deserve and what it should look like. And all of that is, I think, I mean, I, th- I think it, it, it changes everything. You know, mm. the, the ability to tap into that changes everything. Mm. Um, is Am I in the right direction of how you're thinking about the concept? Or? Exactly. Okay. Exactly. And, and so what, how was it received at Afrotech? Uh, it was received very well. Okay. Yeah, it was, um, you know, I was on stage with uh, Hannibal Buress. Uh, oh that. yeah okay. yeah he had a comedian yes he, and he ruined bill cosby's career i, I won't exactly <laughs> and bill cosby <laughs> tried to come for him afterwards too. <laughs> but i won't say that pe- more people were coming up to me afterwards but it resonated mm. and i still get people hitting me up on linkedin saying hey like that concept i used that in my last job search hmm. and it made it a lot easier to apply for that job hmm. that I didn't think I was qualified for hmm. or to um, advocate for myself uh, in a meeting when I didn't think things were going my way. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's a powerful, powerful concept. Mm-hmm. Um, and I definitely want to check out the book that you just spoke about yeah. um, because I feel like it would be um, informative in that way. And then the second piece to that, that I talked about it at, at Afrotech was get you a white mentor. I feel like it's 
definitely important to have mentors of color. It's definitely important to have um, uh, uh, mentors who are women. Um, I think that sometimes as underrepresented folks, we um, believe that if we invest time in building relationships and strong relationships with folks um, who are white men, that uh, th- we're, we're kind of hustling backwards. Mm. Um, and I believe that uh, that is a, um, that is a, uh, you're putting yourself at a disadvantage mm. if you don't have a white male mind to pick their brain and figure out what would you do in that situation. Mm-hmm. And most recently it's helped me in the sense that after that talk, um, the, uh, uh, one of the a lawyer at Slack said, Hey, I went to Berkeley high. We should get lunch. Mm. Um, and I was like, for sure. He's like, I really liked your talk. Um, you know, I'm a white man. So, you know, I, I, I think it resonated. Wasn't that clear when you said that? Yeah. <laughs> that is like, a lot of people would be like, listen, I'm white. So. Yes. <laughs> oh my God. I, was like, I was like, really? Okay. I was, you know, I was thinking so, Sicilian. Yeah. I didn't know. <laughs> so, and is that how the deal started? So like, you know, so listen, I'm a white man. Yes. <laughs> like, uh, well, thank yeah. you for letting me know. Yeah. All, all of our, because, you know, I do have white friends that watch the show. If you were talking to a, a person of color, you don't have to remind them or explain that you're white like we see we know we see we can see we see <laughs> yeah just like we're not gonna be like so i'm a black dude you know what i'm saying yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it, you know he's like i'm a white man yeah, things like that and we start talking i'm like hey i'm interviewing at this company he was like i just met with the founder of that company mm-hmm. can i send them a reference and i was like yes but before so let me ask you some advice how did you know that this company, Slack, and other companies um, were going to be blow up the way that they did. And he gave me some advice. He was like, look, it's not something that you can, you can know. It's something that you feel. Every time you talk about it, someone knows about this company. Hmm. Um, and we had a really real conversation. And I was genuinely just trying to understand his mindset of how he chooses these things. I was working at DocuSign at the time. Mm-hmm. DocuSign is an incredible company. It is blowing up. Yeah, I, and use, I use it. Okay, nice. Your finger on the screen. It's easy. I'm doing a finger motion for the people that are yeah, listening. But go ahead. And it's amazing. Uh-huh. And it's blown up. And it's a, it's a good opportunity. And I didn't want to leave a good opportunity for something that wasn't going to be amazing. But I leaned on the expertise of my white homie. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think he gave me some advice of a lifetime. Mm-hmm. He was like, I would burn many bridges to go to... Um, you know, the company that you want to go to. Mm-hmm. And I made the jump. Uh, and I think that's just the power of proactively building networks with white men. Because at the end of the day, um, the second book that I want to want to write or concept is what, what, what should a white man do? Hmm. And that's really pushing white men to become allies. Mm-hmm. But we also got to meet them and we got to demand it from them. Hmm. And I think that... Um, Obviously, this dude liked how I moved, but I took the opportunity to demand something from him, which was advice and um, uh, and also an endorsement. Mm-hmm. Um, and it worked out. Yeah. So, That's what, well, what do white men do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, we gonna we have to wrap up our discussion, but I did want to. Um, I've always appreciated how well you take care of yourself. Mm. And I think you have like a background as a personal trainer, mm-hmm. right? Is that, is that right? Yeah. I knew that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so talk a little bit about like your, I mean, do you, are you still keeping up with your fitness routine and everything like that? Like yeah. give us, give us some like broad strokes for, you know, 
2020 yeah. how to be in shape like Aubrey. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So I was a I was a personal trainer before I got into tech. Um, I started lifting because I got beat up and mm-hmm. uh, my senior year I got jumped mm-hmm. and I was like that's never happening again. So I immediately got a YMCA membership and started lifting mm-hmm. and then formalized it by learning about health and stuff like that and then wanted to make some money doing personal training. Broad 2020 goals I think is um, I've stopped thinking about uh, working out in uh, in goals mm-hmm. in the sense that I feel like goals are you know different uh, segmented um, segmented uh, destinations that you want to get to and I started to think it more of a, a, a journey which mm-hmm. means one percent more every day if you can do one exercise a day um, leave it at that um, I feel like I've gotten to the point where um, it's less about how I look and more about how um, working out um, is more in service to my mental and to my mind Mm -hmm. and the endorphins I get from it, the discipline I get from it, Mm -hmm. the pushing myself past the point of being tired um, allows me to do everything else in my life in that same way. And it reminds me that if I can work out if i can make my put my body in pain and get my mind through that mm-hmm. i can send a hundred emails in a day mm-hmm. i can finish this campaign i can get through this one-on-one mm-hmm. um and then what comes out of that is being fit right you know yeah. so i've started to think about less about the destination of getting to 175 pounds of pure, pure muscle or getting mm-hmm. an eight pack or whatever mm-hmm. and started to think how does working out service the rest of my life mm-hmm. um and i think using that mentality takes a lot of the fear away from it mm-hmm. um and it also forces you to think about it um in a way where it doesn't have to be regimented if you don't have a gym do 100 push-ups mm-hmm. if you can't do 100 push-ups do 10 push-ups mm-hmm. and do it not because you want to be fit, but because it's in service to the other things that you do in your life. Um, and then the last thing that I've been doing, um, I think that ha- has been a revelation for me the last two years. I've been um, very, very, very committed to meditation. Mm-hmm. Meditation has been a huge part of my life, um, mm-hmm. at least five minutes a day, mm-hmm. if not 20 minutes a day, mm-hmm. getting up in the morning, breathing, um, and uh, just following my breath mm-hmm. for 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. And um, I've, I've always felt like I have never been diagnosed, but um, ADD or mm-hmm. it's hard for me to focus on things because I have so many thoughts coming through my mind. Um, and meditation has quieted those down mm-hmm. and allowed me to get very deep into um, a couple of things rather than having my mind in a bunch of different places at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, so not only do I advocate now for physical health, uh, but mental health insofar as meditating um, is is really important to me as well. Cool. Yeah. Thank you, Albert. Thank you, man. Yeah. I appreciate it. Good, good to have you. Yeah. <laughs> thank you for having me on the show, man. Yeah, bro. That was great. <laughs> <laughs> peace, peace. And thank you for tuning in to another episode of Cook on Monday Morning. It was really great to see Aubrey again, to learn more about his story, to hear about uh, his experience trying to build a company, having to dissolve a company, and then continuing what he thought his purpose was, which is to help diversify uh, larger tech companies um, as he's going throughout his career and journey. Um, I think that, you know, it's always important to elevate and highlight people that are like going for something. And that's what we really want to do at Cooking on Monday morning. Thank you all for supporting the podcast and for subscribing and sharing it with your friends you know i'm I'm getting a lot of great feedback we're seeing our 
the number of subscriptions grow. Uh, we are on a journey to get to 2020 subscribers by April 30th of 2020. <laughs> and so, you know, I think this whole thing is about building a community and, and trying to connect with people and give people access to others that are doing important things. At Clinical Monday Morning, we believe that if you own Monday morning, you can own the week. If you own the week, you can own the year. If you change your year, you can change your life. Reach out to me at stevoncook.com if you want to learn more about past episodes or you want to contact me directly you can email me at info at i do run a consulting practice called the luther harris holdy company we offer strategic advising support for businesses that are looking to grow if you're interested in learning more about that i'd be happy to talk to you about it and you know you can reach out to me on twitter uh, ask Stevon Cook if there are certain types of guests or certain topics you want me to bring up, please let me know. I'd like to thank the people that made this podcast possible. I'd like to thank my producer and videographer, David Dopete. Thank you, sir. I appreciate you. I'd like to thank uh, Fernando Cinco Marquez for all the editing that he does of the newsletter. I'd like to thank Icy House for providing the mics for the newsletter. Icy House, we appreciate you. I also want to end this episode by just saying thank you to the people of San Francisco, all the people in San Francisco to help our city run, uh, from our muni drivers to our first responders, everyone that helps clean our streets, that keeps our streets safe, to our teachers, our school lunch workers. Thank you. I'm your biggest fan. This podcast is for you, and it's for everyone across the country in cities like L.A., Houston, New Orleans, Atlanta, Miami, North Carolina, the state of North Carolina, uh, New York, Chicago, Detroit, anyone that's looking to change and improve their community, this show is also for you. I hope that we can find a way to connect. I hope to learn more about what you're doing and how you're changing your Monday morning. Thank you. Peace, peace, and we out.